Well, good morning, Christ Chapel. Good morning to all of you joining us no matter where you are. Uh, thank you for joining us for worship. If you would all do one of my favorite things that I get to tell you, open your Bibles, please. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, you do need a copy of the scriptures open. If you're opening one of the blue Bibles that is in whatever venue you're worshiping in, it's page 923. Uh, You need a copy of the scriptures open because I'm going to be referring back to those a bunch of times. We've got a lot to cover today. And you'll also, it'd be helpful if you had those sermon notes out as well just to follow along uh, as a guide. So we're going to, because we're going to jump right into it. So last week I told you where I was from. Uh, I didn't tell you when I grew up exactly, Uh, but let me give you some indicators. I grew up during a time when wrestling was king, and I'm not talking about the real stuff. I'm talking about the fake stuff. I'm talking about Hulk Hogan. I'm talking about Ultimate Warrior, Legion of Doom, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. I'm talking about, you know, these, these legends, Andre the Giant. Do you, got, you remember these folks? I mean, th- this was awesome. This was so, so much fun. This is when I grew up. I mean, it was a time when, when these guys would have, you know, they would throw each other on tables and they would hit each other with folding chairs and they would have, have cage matches. I mean, but, but the cage matches were really reserved for the most epic, you know, wrestling matches, you know, like Hulk Hogan versus, you know, Andre the Giant. And, and really the, the cage matches were, you, you know, that was exactly what it sounded like. You know, you, they would put these two guys in, in a cage and it was really a no holds barred wrestling match where uh, it was really kind of to the death. Only one person walked out, you know. It, only one person left the cage and that was the winner. That, that was this epic cage match that you would have to, you know, back in the day, spend like 50 bucks for pay-per-view, which I never got to do. Um, but uh, I heard about it. My friend said it was awesome. So, but you would have to, that's why, because it was reserved for these epic matches. Well, today there is this epic cage match in scripture. And it's not because there are necessarily two opponents that are against each other, although this conflict is brought by two different groups of people, but really what is at stake are two uh, opposing ideas two opposing philosophies in a sense. But this Christian cage match is different than those cage matches that I grew up watching. And the reason why is because both parties walk out winners. Both of them leave walking out rejoicing at peace with one another. And really, the only thing left behind is the cage, the thing that used to enslave them. And so what I want to do today is I want to tell you what that issue was because this is a watershed defining moment in our Christian faith that has implications for you and me today. Not only implications like today you are free because of this passage to eat bacon. I got an amen. Amen. And even greater implications of our salvation and the freedom that we have and the unity that we can have with one another. So the implications are huge. So what we're going to do is I'm going to show you what this defining moment was in the book of Acts for the early church, this watershed epic 
uh, opposition that came into one place that was resolved, but it's resolved in a, in a magnificent, miraculous way. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you the, the problem, the solution, and the conclusion, but then I want to go back and I want to look at how did they get through this to end up in this miraculous, peaceful uh, solution. Because uh, oftentimes our conflicts don't always end in peaceful, rejoicing parties. It, it doesn't always end that way. So we're going to go back through the playbook and look at what did they do so that we as Christians know how to handle conflict when conflict arises amongst Christian brothers and sisters. Because guys, just like we can't avoid that little town called suffering, you can't avoid conflict. Because we're all sinners. We're, we are all sinners. And we all have a shred of selfishness that is left in us until we are fully glorified in the Lord Jesus. And that little bit of selfishness, that little bit of pride, that little bit of ego will always put us at sometimes at odds with other folks. And so we need to know how do we handle conflict amongst Christians? So we got a lot to cover today, but that's where we're going. So let's start in verse one of Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15 begins this way. It says, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, I hope if you've been at Christ Chapel for more than two or three weeks that this is setting off alarm bells in you. That, that should, and, and, and we'll lead towards uh, this conclusion in a second. But I want to I show you, uh, give you geography and orientation because it says men came down from Jerusalem. Remember, Paul and Barnabas in Acts chapter 14 just finished their first missionary journey. They went back to their sending church in Antioch of Syria. So when it says men came down from Judea, remember Jerusalem is up in elevation. So anywhere you go, if you're leaving, Jerusalem is down. So they're going down to Antioch of Syria. And it's this group that says, hey, guys. And remember, in Antioch of Syria, there are a lot of Gentiles they're talking to Gentiles, and they're saying, Gentiles, unless you're circumcised, you cannot be saved. Now, what is circumcision? I'm not going to explain it here. It, let's just say <laughs> that it is an outward symbol that showed that you belonged to the Jewish faith. It was an outward symbol that showed you belong to the Jewish faith. And so the, there's, a, there's a big problem here, and that is this, that the Pharisees, that's the group coming from Judea, they were promoting a works-based salvation. They were saying, unless you do X, Y, and Z, you cannot be saved. Because when they were saying that you must be circumcised to be saved, they weren't just saying that that was the only thing you had to do. They were saying you had to do that, but follow all of the customs of Moses. And remember, the law of Moses had 613 laws. So they're not just saying you have to do one and, and one will suffice. They're saying you've got to do all of these laws. They were telling these Gentile believers, you have to conform to all of these Jewish customs in order to be saved. That's a, that's a problem. Because you go, how, how, how am I supposed to keep up with all 613? 
How am I supposed to remember these? And what if I fail on one of them? In fact, Peter says in verse 10, and you can look, there are a lot of these verses are not gonna come up. This is why I asked you to open your Bibles. In verse 10, look at what Peter says. He says, now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke or a a burden on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? What What Peter is saying here is, why are you asking these Gentiles to follow the Jewish customs? Because we who are Jewish couldn't even live up to them. We can't do it. We, and we've grown up in this system. Like we've known this from birth. We were circumcised, the Jewish males would have been circumcised on the eighth day that they were born. So we've been, we've been brought up in this and we can't bear this burden. Why are you gonna ask them to? It says, why are you gonna put God to the test? Interesting, to put God to the test means how far, can you, how far are you gonna get with God going this way? How many rounds are you gonna go with him? <laughs> You're not gonna get very far. We couldn't get very far trying to fulfill the law of Moses. That's why it's a problem to promote a works-based salvation. So they come up with this solution. And, and I'm summarizing a lot of the chapter here, and then we'll go back through it. But the solution is this. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's the solution that they come up with is, hey, everybody, there was only one person who perfectly fulfilled the law, and his name was Jesus. And Jesus paid the penalty for our sin because our sin deserved death. But he paid the penalty for our sin when he died died on the cross and rose from the dead. And so by placing our faith in him as the only way to be made right by God, we are therefore justified. We we are made righteous. We, We get credited to us righteousness. Not because we worked for it, Not because we followed 613 laws because we couldn't follow them perfectly, but it's only based on what Jesus did for us. That's what they say in verse 11. Peter says the same thing, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus just as they will. Now, who is the they? Come on, guys, who's the they? Gentiles, very good. They, Gentiles. So Peter's Jewish. He's saying we're saved the same way they are saved, by grace through faith. It's not one way we followed the laws and customs of Moses and they get grace. We all have to accept grace because we all fall short of the glory of God. That's the only way to be saved. This was a hill that Peter was willing to die on. That salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And just so you know, that is a hill we will die on. That is a hill we are willing to die. It is not, salvation is not Jesus plus anything else. It's Jesus. That that is it, 100%. And that's that's what he's promoting here. And in, in fact, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing, it's not, it's the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. If it was by following some rules, if it was Jesus plus circumcision, if it was Jesus plus you didn't eat this, you didn't drink that, you didn't, um, you know, go out with those folks, you didn't do it, then somebody could boast. They could say, well, I didn't do that. Or I did this. I worked really hard. Nobody's going to be able to boast but Jesus. 
He's the only one who fulfilled the law perfectly. So that's the solution that they come up with is we're all saved by grace through faith alone and Christ alone. And the conclusion is this, that Christians who are saved and united by grace, they're at peace. Christians who are saved and united by grace are at peace. Um, if you look at verse 31, at the, ver- at the very end, they come up with this solution. They announce this uh, solution or declaration in a sense, and then they put it in a letter, and they send it back with delegates back to Antioch of Syria, and basically saying, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And here's the result in verse 31. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Everybody rejoices. This is encouraging. This is encouraging that we're all saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, and they're at peace with one another. They're rejoicing. And you go, man, isn't that great? Don't, don't we all wish this, that, that our conflict, any kind of conflict that you've had with anyone else, don't you wish it ended this way? Where you just go, man, that's encouraging. Thanks for clearing that up for me, you know? So glad we're at peace and you walk out holding hands and it's just wonderful. You know, you skip out of the room together, you know. We all wish that it could be this way. But part of it, the reason why it ends this way is because they follow this God-honoring, these God-honoring steps in in handling conflict. And, And I've tried to break it down for you and we're going to go back through it of how to handle conflict in a God-honoring way because what is left behind as I said earlier is the cage they're no longer caged by works they're no longer caged by I have to do this and I, I, I have to follow these rules they're 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 free in Christ because they're saved by grace and because there's a level playing field, they're united by grace. They're not holding each other to these extra biblical standards. And so we're gonna go back through it, trace that playbook back. And I know, just a quick aside, um, I know that what they're talking about here is a doctrinal issue and it's, it's orthodoxy. And I know that you, probably on a day-to-day basis aren't getting into these arguments about orthodoxy. But I do think that these steps can be helpful for you in, in handling any kind of conflict. It's not a 100% solution to all the conflicts you're going to have, but I think if you keep these principles in mind, I think it will help. And, and by the way, I have to remind myself of these all the time. I don't, I don't bat a thousand when it comes to handling everything these ways. We all have things to learn. Praise God, I'm saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. That's what, that's what unites us. So we've all got things to learn, so we're gonna follow those. How did they get to this wonderful conclusion where they're at peace with God and at peace with one another? So we're gonna go back through it and we'll pick it up, these five steps of how to handle conflict in a God-honoring way. First, pursue a face-to-face conversation. First, pursue a face-to-face conversation. Verse two, this is after, remember, after these folks had come from Jerusalem, come down, or from Judea, sorry, from the region of Judea 
to preach this works-based salvation. It says, and after, Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension. It means a great debate with them. Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. And so they, there's going to be this face-to-face meeting. And you say, why, does it ha- why did they have to go to Jerusalem? Because obviously they were face-to-face with these folks that they had uh, conflict with. But they go up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem was the seat of authority because that's where all the apostles were. Remember? All the apostles, uh, other than Paul, who was an apostle to the Gentiles, but all of the the 12 apostles, those who had been with Jesus, those who were set apart as the sent ones, they were residing in Jerusalem. That was the seat of authority. Who who is going to rule, uh, make this, this judgment, this ruling on this question except for the apostles? So they go to Jerusalem where the authority lies, which I'm going to sub-comment here, okay? Pause. Sub-comment. We at Christ Chapel believe that the Bible is our authority, but we also sit under the authority of our elder board. And our elders, according to 1 Peter chapter 5, they will give an account for how they shepherd your souls. And because of that, in 1 Peter 5, it says, those who are under the elder's authority should submit in humility. We, 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 we live in a, an authority structure. God put an authority structure over us in order to shepherd and care for us. And so that's, uh, this, this whole who is the authority is, is a sub-theme because, and, I, and I, only, I only mention that today because so many folks especially Americans, think I am the only authority. And, and that's not biblical. First, God is the authority, and then he puts authority structures in place in order to care for us. And so he has authority. So just, just want to, that, that will come into play here in just a second, as you'll see. So it says to have a face to, they go up to have a face-to-face conversation. And the reason why I, I, say we need to have face-to-face conversations is oftentimes face-to-face conversations soften people's tone. It softens people's tone. So much gets lost in written word. And, and, you know, there's an insurance commercial out these days and, you know, it's about your parents and how you turn into your parents when you get home insurance. Do you, you know these commercials? And it's like the, the people write in all caps, you know, yoga was great, you know, or whatever. And it's like, don't write in all caps, you know. Well, some people don't know that. And they write in all caps and you go, why are you yelling at me? And they said, I didn't know I was yelling at you. Well, they don't know the interpretive text rules. And, and so, so much gets lost and writing, and sometimes we just need to get face-to-face with one another. And face-to-face conversations don't just soften tone, but oftentimes it surfaces the truth. And it gets out, what is the real issue here? This may be, what you wrote about might be the presenting issue, but what is the real 
issue. Let's, let's talk about those things. And oftentimes that stuff comes out when we can get face to face. We live in a world that doesn't want to be face to face, that wants to live in a digital world and interface only in a digital way. And that can be very dangerous for us. And we are called to be in community to, with one another. And that doesn't just mean social, uh, social media community. It means face-to-face -face community, being with one another. So first, pursue a face-to-face -face conversation. Second, listen to the other person's perspective. Listen to the other person's perspective. I'm trying to approach this from... Uh, you and a conflict with someone else, um, even though I know that they go up to both give their sides of the story. But listen to what happens in verses four and five. It says, when they came to Jerusalem, they, this is Paul and Barnabas, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them on that first missionary journey. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, they rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the entire law of Moses, 613 laws. Both sides are able to be heard. Now, let's think about it. Let, oftentimes, Pharisees get a really bad rap, and oftentimes they deserve it from what we understand of Scripture. But if I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt, let's, let's think about it for just a second. Okay, the law of Moses was put into place so that the people would know the holiness of God because Jesus kept the law perfectly. He was completely holy. That's why he is God in human form, 100% God, 100% man. And so they're saying when we follow the law, it helps us understand God more. And let's just be frank, Jesus was Jewish, Jesus kept the law. And so if they're following in the footsteps of Jesus, if we're disciples of Jesus, these, these Pharisees, I can understand their perspective where they go, hey, you should keep those too. Now, misguided, but you can understand. You can see another person's perspective where if I come in hot into this argument, I go, it's not salvation by works. You guys just need to be quiet. You know, don't, don't even bring that in here. And instead of being able to understand and reason with them, of let me understand your perspective, but you gotta listen to them in order to understand their perspective. Now, it doesn't make any sense for the Gentiles to follow the 613 laws because we're not saved by grace. And so the Pharisees needed to listen to the Gentiles as well. Both sides needed to understand each other's perspective. Why? Because unity is the goal. I mean, yes, salvation is the goal, salvation of the individual. But remember, he saves us in order to unite us in the body of Christ. That is what Jesus prayed for in John chapter 17, is that we would be one, just as he and the Father are one. And so there, there is a, a secondary goal to this. One is the individual salvation, but the second is community in the body of Christ and unity. We need to listen to the other person's perspective. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 17 says, the one who states his case first always seems right, 
until the other comes and examines him. When, when, when I am only considering my perspective, I am always innocent and I am always right. Always. Until I hear another person's perspective. And it's helpful to listen to those other person's perspective and listening is a skill that has been lost in our society these days. Let's not lose it in the church. So second, listen to the other person's perspective. Third, separate what is biblical from preferential. Separate what is biblical from what is preferential. This is a huge, huge thing. So the, the Jews and, and uh, they come and they say, we want them to, we want the Gentiles to conform to our customs. In, and that, if they would conform to our customs, that will validate their salvation. If they would just live the way that we live, that would make us feel a lot more comfortable that we would know that they are saved. If they've had all these outward expressions, if, if they wore tassels on their clothes, if they celebrated the holidays that we celebrated, all of those 613 laws. But if we place requirements on other people to validate their salvation or confirm their salvation, that's called legalism, where we are applying extra-biblical laws, legality systems to validate one's righteousness. And the only way we're made righteous is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That, that's the only way. That's the only way. In fact, uh, Peter says they've been validated already because of the Holy Spirit. Look back at verses 8 and 9. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their heart by faith. It's what happened on the inside. They, the, the Pharisees wanted to talk about what happened on the outside. We want you to do all these things on the outside to be saved, to, to, to work out, uh, to, to gain your salvation. And he's saying, hold on, God knows their heart and he saw their heart of faith and because he saw their heart of faith, he gave them the Holy Spirit who indwells them, who baptized them, who sealed them, saying that they are his, Jew and Gentile alike. So it can't be by following the laws. But the Jews said we would feel a lot more comfortable. It is our preference that they would follow all these laws. And we have a lot of things these days that are preferential that you say, I would feel a lot more comfortable if you would just live your life the way that I live my life. If you would conform to my ways, I would really like that. And if we begin to place those extra biblical things on people, that's again called legalism, and that is not going to lead to unity in any way. Because what we are called to do is to live by the scriptures, not your or my preferences. 
And we have a ton of those these days. And you've got to be careful and you've got to, you individually, have to separate what, what is rubbing me the wrong way. Why am I in conflict with this person? Is it because it's a biblical issue? Or is it because it's a preferential issue? It's, it's my preference that I would like them to talk a certain way. I would like them to dress a certain way. I would like them to vote a certain way. I would like them to be involved in the things I'm involved in. I would like them to be passionate about the things that I am passionate about. I would, you, you name it, but all of those things are extra biblical. You, they might make you feel really comfortable to be around that person if they would just live life the way you do, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're biblical. You've got to separate the, the difference between biblical and preferential. That's a huge thing, and that's what is separated here. It's separated out. Okay, this might be your preference, Pharisees, but that's not biblical, so we can't hold the Gentiles to acting in this way, to this behavioral thing. Fourth, search the scriptures for guidance. Search the scriptures for guidance. The best way to separate what is uh, biblical from preferential is to know what's biblical. And the way you know what's biblical is you search out uh, the Bible and see what the Bible says. In verse 15, um, this is where James, the half-brother of Jesus, stands up. And I'm summarizing. I hope you read this text beforehand. You can go back and read it later. But James stands up in verse 15, and he says, with, uh, and with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, and I didn't give you the rest of the verses, because he goes into a prophecy of Amos, and Amos chapter 9, and I'm not going to go through all, all of that stuff, but my point is, is that he went and searched the scriptures. And he went, oh, this makes, this makes sense. These scriptures apply to this situation. And it's amazing how if you are in the scriptures regularly, then you see how the scriptures speak into your everyday life. Please, please be in the scriptures regularly. Because if you're not in the scriptures regularly, then what we tend to have the tendency to do is we go and we look for the verse that's going to say to us what we want it to say that's going to give us the answer for everything we want. You see, some of you, I, I saw a t-shirt like this. This is a corny Christian t-shirt, but I think it's funny. Um, but you know the, the verse, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You've heard that verse before. This t-shirt says, I can do all things through Christ, or I can do all things through a text that I proof text myself. Like I can do all things through scriptures taken out of context. Like you, you can validate whatever you want and go, ah, oh, this verse tells me exactly what I want. Well, hold on. What does the whole council of scripture say? What, what does that say? That's why you're in the word regularly. And if, and you, but you can go and look for, you know, does, are there verses that speak specifically to your situation? And there might be, there, there might be. If there aren't, I guarantee you one of the things that scriptures is gonna talk about is your attitude in how you handle those things. And so you need to be in the word regularly. Search the scriptures for guidance. And then finally, consider what you can do for the sake of unity. Consider what you can do for the sake of unity. 
I want to circle back around here just to be very clear because um, when I talk about making considerations for what you can do for the sake of unity, um, there, I am not talking about compromising orthodoxy. I am not talking about lowering standards of scripture. Are we clear on that, please? Thank you. I'm not talking about that. What I am talking about is conduct that can help unify you with other believers. Can you make those considerations for the sake of unity? Because after the doctrinal things are taken care of in this passage, after they, they, they come to the uh, agreement and the, the apostles make the judgment that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, they therefore give some standards for, okay, specifically Gentiles, here's how you should live in order to be united with your fellow Jewish brothers and sisters who are coming from the Jewish faith who are now in Christ. In verses 19 and 20, it says, therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. Don't make it harder on them saying they've got to follow the 613 laws and Jesus. Don't make it hard for them to turn to God. But we should write to them to do these things, to abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. Super weird, okay? You go, what? This is a left turn. I am going to try to um, summarize this for you as quickly as I can. Um, I think these things are in there to promote unity between Gentile believers, those, those who are now believers who come from a Gentile context, and those who are believers who come from a Jewish context, to unite them in Christ. Abstaining from sexual immorality, why? Because it was a common practice in, Jew, in, in Gentile uh, circles that sexual immorality was nothing big at all. They, they were sexually, I mean, free in a sense. Um, I mean that in a bad sense. So that's what they're coming from. But it also says avoid, you know, blood and food sacrifice to idols and those things. Why are the Gentiles told that? Because remember, one of the places where Jews and Gentiles in background who now come to faith in Christ, where they united was around the table. Do you remember that? I mean, that's why we celebrate communion. They, sell, they, they come together around the table. And when they came around the table, the Gentiles were used to eating food sacrificed to idols. They were used to eating meat with blood in it, but that was super offensive to a Jew. Super, those were, those, they, they grew up thinking those were unclean foods. You can't eat those things. And so what the, what the admonition here is, stay away from sexual immorality because you guys need to do that. That's bad. But also stay away from these foods because that is going to be really offensive to these Jewish brothers and sisters when you gather with them together at the table. And they're going to go, I can't be close to that. Their, their conscience couldn't handle that. 
And so they say, make these considerations, Gentiles, so that you can fellowship with these Jewish background believers. It's these considerations that they they need to make in order to be united with their brothers and sisters. Uh, Paul speaks to this in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 13, when he says, "If if eating meat causes my brother to stumble, then I will never eat meat again. Is Paul free to eat meat? Yes, but if it causes my brother to stumble because unity in Christ is the goal and helping others grow in their relationship with Christ is the goal, then I'll give up eating meat. I will sacrifice my freedoms, my liberties, I will lay them down for the sake of my brother and sisters so that they can grow in Christ, so that we can be united in Christ. That, that, that is the Christian attitude Why is that the Christian attitude? Because that's Christ's attitude. He laid down his freedoms for your sake, for your good, so that you could be united with a holy God. We emulate that, that we lay down our liberties, our freedoms. We make considerations. Are you free? Absolutely. Is it wise? Is it unifying? Maybe not. Consider what you can do for the sake of unity amongst brothers and sisters in Christ. This is why Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. As much as it depends on you, be at peace with all, that, that is consider, goes back to that point number five, consider what you can do for the sake of of unity. That is where this is leading, is that we would be united as a body in Christ. Jesus is the head. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Please do not leave here doubting that whatsoever. But when it comes to conflicts that are not necessarily doctrinal, those preferences that we have, I think if you follow these written kind of steps and guidelines, it will lead to unity. Let me make an analogy. Spoiler alert, wrestling's fake, okay? There's somebody who's writing a script that is saying who's gonna be the winner and who's gonna be the loser. God has written a script so that all of us win. The script says that his son would die on the cross for your sins and rise from the dead so that you can be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And the script is written so that you are not enslaved and caged by the 613 laws that point to his perfect nature, but that you would be free from those and free in Christ. If we follow that script, in a sense, then we will all walk out winners and Christ will always be victorious, amen? Okay, let me pray for us. God, uh, thank you for what you have done for us and how you have modeled uh, unity and how you laid down your life for us. Lord God, that can be really hard in our everyday lives.
to set aside our preferences, to set aside our liberties, to uh, step over and see someone else's perspective. Lord God, uh, give us clarity of mind when it comes to what is orthodoxy, what is doctrine, etc. But Lord God, give us soft and sensitive and humble hearts when it comes to unity with our brothers and sisters. Lord God, may we be, by the power of your spirit, an answer to your prayer in John chapter 17, that we would be one, just as you and the Father are one. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.